Welcome to Global E-Commerce Tech Talks. I'm your host, Michael LeBlanc. And this podcast is brought to you in conjunction with the Global E-Commerce Leaders Forum. In this episode, my co-host Kent Allen and I connect with Jeff Lord, Vice President of Global Direct and Digital Commerce at Burton Snowboards. Both an e-commerce and cross-border veteran, comfortable operating from Burton's hometown in Vermont or on the mountains of Japan or in the brand's flagship store in Toronto, Jeff shares insights in an omni-channel and cross-border optimization world, China is the tip of the spear in consumer e-commerce, retailing in an uncertain COVID era, and the power of lessons learned that will take this 40-plus-year-old business to all new heights. Let's listen in now to Jeff from Burton. Jeff, welcome to Global E-Commerce Tech Talks podcast. How are you doing? I'm doing well. How are you? Well, I'm here with uh, my partner, co-host, and uh, overall amazing guy, Kent Allen. Kent, how are you? Doing well, Michael. Good to uh, get back in the studio virtually, if you will. Yeah, fantastic. Now, we don't have our sidekick, uh, Jim Okamura, with us. He's uh, tied up today, so it's us, the the three amigos. Uh, So why don't we jump right in, Jeff? Um, tell us about yourself. Tell us about your, your personal professional journey, looking at your background. Such a, a tremendous depth in, uh, in both sporting goods and, and things that are connected to sporting and e-commerce and global. Uh, what a great background. But uh, why don't you take us through a bit, uh, your personal professional background and what you do at Burton? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Well, well thank you for those um uh, the, those kind words. I, I appreciate it. Hopefully, um, I don't let you guys do down with this podcast, but you know, it's, it's great to be talking on this, these subjects and, uh, I'm super lucky to be half or to be talking on behalf of what we're doing here at Burton. And, you know, where I started my, my, my journey is, um, back at Columbia Sportswear, uh, kind of in the e-commerce department, uh, around the first time those brands, uh, the, the portfolio brands were kind of going online. So I'm kind of a little bit of a product of luck and took a, took a few different turns in there. And then, um, from there went to, uh, GoPro. Uh, mm-hmm. And product of luck, right when it was a, a fairly small company, just getting its footing in uh, the e-commerce industry, and then um, joined at Burton about three years ago. You know, we've primarily been a wholesale company, about forty-three year history of doing that, um, and and now I'm lucky enough to be part of a team, kind of driving forward in this digital future. So, uh, my role now is uh, vice president of uh, global direct to consumer uh, and retail at Burton, and what that means is pretty much all of our e-commerce. Are wholly owned, so Burton.com, um, uh, our retail stores around the world, as well as um, dabbling in kind of the marketplace uh, world and trying to figure out what our next steps are with that. Well, tell us, uh, tell us a little bit, Burton Snowboards. You got a great. Uh, I'm very familiar with the brand. Um, you know, it's, it's to me, it's like one of these classic brands when I think of, of snowboarding or you know the great uh, the great mountains and and uh, places here in Canada. I think of Burton. The two to me just you know, are, are in the same sentence. But for the listeners who may not know or not, may not be uh, so aware, tell us about Burton. Um, so Burton was, uh, is 43 years old, as I just mentioned. It was founded by um, our, our two founders, uh, Jake Burton Carpenter uh, and Donna Carpenter. They started in Londonbury, Vermont, uh, and really um, built, were able to build a sport uh, through the brand Burton, which is amazing, right? There's still three uh, resorts, at least in the U.S., that don't allow snowboarding. But this was, you know, back <laughs> in the days that um, that snowboarding wasn't allowed at at any major resort. So they had to not only build the brand but build the sport, which was amazing. And they did that um, out of Londonbury, Vermont. Uh, we're still a Vermont company, uh, still based in the mountains. Up at uh, our headquarters now in Burlington, Vermont. You know, we thrive off the outdoors, uh, but snowboarding is our passion. Um, you know, we get excited every time snow starts coming around and, and, um, 
and, and, and we're looking forward to this season. Yeah, I just can't wait to kind of see the next 43 years of history of what Burton's undertaking now. You've got both a mix uh, as I look. How many stores do you have? First, of quite, uh, first, I know you have one. you got a flagship here, not far from where I am in Toronto, but how many stores do you have? And then talk about your assortment a little bit, again, just to flesh out the brand, because you're not just about snowbo- uh, snowboards. You've got some uh, some great rock and apparel. Uh, so tell us a little bit about that. And and I noticed uh, that you know, there's, there's certainly an ethos about... Um, uh, about the cotton you make and the brands you have and, and just give us a, an outline of those two things. Yeah. So on the first thing, um, stores, we, uh, you know, when I, when I talk about stores now, uh, at least in, in my role that I'm in, there's really two types of roles of stores within Burton. There's one, um, that are kind of our direct stores. And then there's uh, another set of stores, kind of like our franchise and our partner stores, uh, that we work out. So when we add up all those direct and franchise stores, uh, we're, we're about 62 worldwide, you know, that, that, that footprint is massive. It's, it's been huge for years and it, it's cool to expand. But when we talk about the direct stores, that's where we've seen the majority of the growth over the last few mm. years. Um, right now we're about 30, we're 30, uh, as of today. Um, and those stores are mixed of our flagship, which you just mentioned up in Toronto, um, mm-hmm. our outlet, which we have about three in the U S uh, one in, in, um, Europe and two in Japan. And then uh, uh, kind of partners, which is a little bit of a, a, a franchise hybrid type model. Um, so that's how we kind of look at it. And, and my team is really responsible for kind of that direct aspect now. Um, so let's let's talk a little bit about um, the apparel side of the business. Um, how big is that? Is, is it an ancillary part or is that a growing part? What Connect those dots for me. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, when, when Jake and Donna started the company, it was you know, primarily hard goods. Uh, it, was, it was our, our board's. Then it became our, our boots and bindings. Um, and then from there, it really went into soft goods. And over the years, we've been trying to grow that soft good business for sure. Um, and we, we have seen it uh, absolutely start to take market share uh, from some of our competitors. There's not too many people playing in this hard good, soft good space. Um, right, right. When we add those up, it is uh, you know, a key opportunity to kind of continue to go after both those. Um, because when we look at snowboarding as a whole, right? If we're the, the pioneers, the founders of snowboarding, okay, you would assume that we have a pretty big market penetration in the hard goods business. Soft goods business, you know, there's goods out there. It's just outerwear. Um, but mm-hmm. really outerwear focused towards snowboarding is something that we thrive in. And it is growing for our overall percent of our business um, year over year for us. And it is our biggest market opportunity to go after Looking at the assortment in, in the apparel, it looks like a mix of, of technical, again, as you said, based on the expertise, you know, 40 years of, of being a snowboarder and, and fashion, um, which what's the blend in your mind? Um, you know, do people do people look for your product as, as fantastic technical wear plus, you know, the opportunity to, to showcase the brand and be proud of uh, a Burton being a Burton snowboard owner? <laughs> um, so is, is that kind of the two tracks that you generally would approach, you know? fashion on one end and technical on the other for sure. And, and, and that's a, you know, that, that's kind of when I talk about the biggest opportunity uh, to grow our soft goods business is kind of around those two, those two sets, right? We have a line called AK that is very, very technical, right? Everything's Gore-Tex. Uh, it's built for split boarding or back country. You can ride it on the resorts for sure. That's really um, technical high price point product. And then we kind of have, you know, the, the entry level, uh, you know, price point product that can be accessed by any consumer, um, and what's really interesting, if you, if you think about it, right, Burton's always been associated with snowboarding. But when you go to a resort, mm-hmm. 
you see a mix match of everything on, on certain riders, whether skiers, boarders, whatever it is. Yeah. Yeah, sure. We have sure. a goggles brand called Anon. You'll, Anon, you'll see that on, um, on, on skiers. You'll see AK on skiers. It, it's kind of like, you know, whatever's out there or whatever's trending, whatever the cut is, that fashion piece, which you talked about is really, it is key to driving some of our sales. Um, so it's, uh, it, it's kind of that, that, that blending hybrid of let's be super technical. Let's give our core riders our, you know, the, the best product that they can get in, but also let's make sure that we're, that we're not forgetting everybody else out there who's on snow. Um, yeah, those, uh, those other, those other types of folks who are uh, riding those two, those two tracks, they, uh, they can benefit from all that technical expertise yep. just as much, if not, uh, if not sometimes more, right? Yeah, right on. sure. Kent, you and I, um, it's been a little time since we've, we've chatted, uh, in the fast-moving world of COVID-related retail e-commerce, uh, the e-commerce numbers just came out in Canada. Just you know, blockbuster numbers. They're starting to edge off a little bit as we head into uh, into June, as you know, just naturally as stores open. What are you seeing in in the states, and and um, what are you seeing in the U.S. and and uh, let's talk about that for a bit. Yeah, no, it's 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 boom times for sure. I know the e-commerce stats from Q2 just started rolling in from the the market watchers this week and US domestic I think was up 44% Q you know quarter over quarter so that's mm. just crazy we've been talking to people you know both here in the US and around the world I just got off a call with a you know one of the top 3 retailers down in Mexico and you know interestingly enough he said it was 10x traffic but 20x sales so we're seeing mm. you know these crazy conversion rates and yeah you know, I've been interviewing a lot of speakers uh for our upcoming Gelf um Oktoberfest which is three Thursdays in October and you know Jeff's going to join us as a speaker so we'll get into some of those topics later but just just crazy numbers. I mean, you know the the, the Walmart numbers. I think they were up almost a hundred percent. That came out this week. So, you know, let me, let me ask you, Jeff. Um, given that you know, as we look at the data, and our friends over at Signified have been doing a great job of um, pulling in cross border data and outdoor gear, outdoor apparel is by far you know the the number one category from their perspective. I think we all intuitively understand that you know we're in this outdoor economy as we like to call it now hmm. what are you guys seeing especially jeff since i you know i you know a lot of people think of burton as a winter sports brand and at least here in the u.s you know it kind of started at the end of the winter season are you guys seeing this this big boom in e-commerce or is this really more getting ready for a potentially epic you know winter sports season yeah 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 absolutely so I mean, when we look at what is going on in the market, which you just alluded to, we're seeing all the same things, right? We can't really get into numbers too much, um, mm-hmm. but it's uh, absolutely, it, it's, we're seeing a huge e-commerce growth, right? But, you know, on the inverse, uh, if we look at my department managing the brick and mortar side, right, it's almost a little bit triage. So we continue to lean into e-commerce, right? We're, we're trying to transition the company to be more digital centric. And seeing this growth is, is, is amazing, right? And especially in a time, as you alluded to, that we're kind of in our slower season, right? It's, it's 90 degrees out in some places. And I just talked to someone in Tokyo. It was 106. It's a record out there. So oh, it's, it's, wow. tough, it's tough to get into the snowboarding mindset. But we, are seeing, we are seeing growth absolutely all over the world. Um, very, very similar metrics to what everyone else is kind of seeing. Um, but, you know, when we start... Uh, when we start kind of looking at what is fueling that same type of stuff, what you just said, low traffic, but high conversion, right? 
metrics like mm-hmm. AOV being down, but UPT are up. So do we need to figure out what is kind of next for us? Are we looking at our promotions differently? And we certainly are doing that. We are gearing up for the next six months as when as you know our season starts hitting. Um, but what we've learned over the last probably five, six months of this crazy wild ride that is COVID, right, is, is really what matters to our business and our future. And so we're constantly looking at what we've done in the last five months, how that has changed our business kind of internally, our process, our people. And we're really going to pour some gas on that in the next probably six months, um, which is extremely interesting. Yeah, you know, one thing, it was interesting. I was talking to, uh, uh, Jeff, I don't know if you've ever met Nathan Decker at Evo Sports there. You know, I I knew them when I got my graduate degree up in Seattle at the University of Washington many years ago. And and they've acquired some stores in Canada. So we were just talking about um, their Canada expansion plans. And, you know, obviously they're seeing the big boom as well. We were also talking, though, about just the challenges that the, the pandemic bring as far as, you know, lack of the ability to forecast. You know, they were increasing, you know, they were having to look at their D.C. and build capacity and things like that. But if the ski resorts are closed, you know, it's going to impact the business. However, if the ski resorts are open for business, it could just be a crazy booming uh, winter ski season. You, what are some of the what are some of the challenges from you guys from a, a forecasting perspective? Given that you know people are talking about the flu season, and you know there's just this lack of certainty. How are you guys dealing with some of the you know not only for yourself but your your partners that are like you know hey we we may need twice as much stuff but you know maybe we won't. What's going on out there? You know both from your own direct perspective but also working with your your franchise partners and your other you know, kind of wholesale retail partners? Yeah. So, uh, that's a good question. I, I think, you know, 2020, what, what you just alluded to the way 2020 go is going, it's very tough to predict what is next for us, but what, how we are trying to take it is kind of day by day, right? We're kind of all hands on deck, focus on running our e-commerce business and triaging our brick and mortar stores that are out there. Um, from a wholesale side, right? We're going into our season. Same type of thing is how we handle our brick and mortar stores, kind of triage, looking at what's going on, monitoring resorts. You know, outdoor has seen a huge spike, just the outdoor category over spring, right? We're hoping that drives a little bit into winter. Obviously, you know, there's stuff we can't predict, like will, the flu season, which you just alluded to. But we are absolutely monitoring every single day. Um, we are kind of all hands on deck and, and, and we're trying to get ready, at least get our ducks in a row for, for when we do the majority of our business, which is this upcoming second half. Um, how we're managing our, our retailers, right? It's similar type thing, right? Whether it's a lack of inventory or too much inventory, we're trying to take a conservative mindset to everything we do. Um, and, you know, the joys of being a privately held uh, family run company uh, in Vermont allows us to take a conservative action. Um, fairly easily, uh, which is something we are monitoring again every day. What happens on the other side of this, we won't know, uh, probably for another six to nine months, but it is something we, we monitor and are always talking about. Reflecting on, um, your website, your themes, I, I want to make a pun and say, you guys look like you had 2020 vision. Cause I, I look at your homepage and, and the, the tagline is ready for whatever. I can't imagine 
a better tagline for your organization, for all, for everyone in retailer, uh, everyone in retail. So, you know, we've been talking about on the podcast uh, several interviews uh, around the impact of store closures and reopenings and reclosings and in and out. You know, when you when you think about the stores and you have this global lens, is that just something you're going to be dealing with? As you said, just you know the, what's been described as the hammer and the dance. Sometimes we'll be open, sometimes we'll be closed. And and I guess where I'm going with that is it pre-COVID. Uh, if we think about the before time, if we can imagine what that was like uh, back in 2019, as you sat around with your team and thought, how are we going to uh, build our business uh, in in the, the integration between stores and e-commerce? You know, what were those strategies, so to speak? What were the kind of one or two things that, that you were kind of keying on? And then now that we have the COVID crisis uh, and the COVID era, which could be, you know, a couple of seasons if we put it into the in a, in a season perspective. Um, how are you, how has that changed? What, you know, if there's any couple of things that jump out at you as in, you know, this is what we're going to do anyway, and COVID has accelerated, and or this is something that's come up, and it's been the catalyst to something that we're doing differently in the in the in the months and potentially years to come. For sure, yeah, that's a that's a, a lot of questions. So I'll try to break it down a little bit. <laughs> Sorry, it's a dense it's a dense interview, I guess. Hey, I'll uh, so so um, you know, talking on the homepage, which you just mentioned, right? We, that's some of those taglines, some of those content you'll see from us, some of the changes we're making online, almost like little redesign. These are things that we've been able to get after pretty quick over these next five months. Rechange all of our content, our copy, make sure we're being in tune with kind of what's going on there and being very uh, consumer centric and, and cognizant of, of, of how our consumers are showing up. Um, so I appreciate that, right? That, that's a, a massive team that um, has been able to make those pivots, but that's just a good example of what we're kind of doing day to day at this point. Um, from a store side to answer your question, right? That's another really good question. I, I think the best example is probably markets like Japan, uh, which is still very a cash-based society that loves a store retail experience, right? It's, it, it is hammer and nail dance, and we're trying to figure that out. But when, but we're, we're kind of taking this same playbook of leaning into e-com and managing bricks, um, and e-com is really going to grow our business, at least for the short term. Uh, to get us through that this hump, you know. That said, um, you know, Japan has always had retail as, as part of their big as part of their purchase experience. As when we look at our business, it's the market from an e-commerce side uh, the furthest behind. But what we have seen during this is is it absolutely rise. And so, you know, I think that adoption to digital is absolutely uh, happening across the world. And Japan, the metrics that we are seeing is towards that. So then the question becomes, what what do our retail stores, what what does that Japanese retail store kind of experience look like on the other side of this? And that's that's the million-dollar question that I think we're all working to answer. One of the coolest things we've been able to do is really get kind of on the offensive and really use either our store updates or the content we're putting out about either closures or new activations we're doing as an acquisition hub to kind of build that foundation for us. So when we do open our stores back again, we're kind of, we have a good consumer base that we've been able to grow through this to then drive either back to stores or engage with them in different ways online. So um, it's really been that accelerant. And I think on, on the last Point. That kind of goes into the last question that you had of e-com, blending the world online and off. We're lucky enough to kind of begin our digital transformation about in January uh, before the, the world went a little bit sideways uh, outside of China, which was already experiencing it. 
So, you know, when we look out to the future of what is that complement, what is a store and what is e-commerce, right? And how do those come together? Um, we're absolutely investing in that kind of omni-channel world, making sure that transactions can be seamless across channel, uh, real-time inventory, payments, mm. uh, consolidation, byline pickup in store, byline shift from store, byline return in store. All the- yeah, that that that's such an you know I was going to ask you about that. That's uh, in the retailers I've been talking to. They've they're, they're seeing. Uh, Bopus byline pickup and store uh, curbside is as sometimes executed as these safety valve for something we want to talk about a little later, and that's shipping capacity. In other words, you know, with such a, a, a fast acceleration into e-commerce, the uh, the delivery folks across the world are really struggling, and I think that's just going to get worse. Uh, not better. And, and um, is it, that kind of in your mind? It's great to have a store on, on Austin and Toronto, right? You've got a destination point, even if you can't get as many people in the store as, you, as you'd like. But, you know, it is a point of, uh, of connection for the brand and, and the brand as media as you kind of think through uh, over the, the months and years. Yeah, absolutely. And that's where we, we were able to make quick pivots, right? We didn't really have the infrastructure to be able to support it. But the way our team set right. up in our stores to be able to chat with consumers online from the store, mm. right? And reposition some of their skill sets more towards that digital focus, what you just said, curbside pickup, right? That that was something we were able to kind of bootstrap it uh, to get it up. Mm. But but when we look on the other side of this, we will be a completely different company from a true omni-channel, consumer-centric, that entire ecosystem. And we're making massive inroads right now against that. Um, mm. Super exciting for the, for the future of Burton's growth. Um, so we were lucky enough to get a good head start on it right before this. Um, and the way the team is adopting kind of the, the, the small triages uh, in preparation for the big tools that are coming their way is super exciting. I just can't wait to give it to our consumer. Ken, you and I have seen that in many of our conversations. The, the, the leaders that we've talked to that were already steeped in e-commerce just have such a, even if they didn't have a technical advantage, uh, as you said, Jeff, when the world went sideways, they had uh, an organizational and cultural advantage because they were already oriented to think about both global and and e-commerce. Yeah, no, without a doubt. And Jeff joined us on stage um, at Guelph, New York last fall, talked a lot about, you know, some of these shifts and, you know, we were talking about wholesale and things like that. But since we've shifted, you know, kind of from a discussion of Canada to to Japan and Asia Pacific. Let me ask you a question about you know some of the conversations that we've had about what you guys are doing in China, Jeff. And I'll pause to get a plug in for uh, Gelf Oktoberfest. Interestingly enough, we start on October first. Tom Davis is going to join us, really set the stage on, you know, what's the road ahead? What are some of the lessons learned from the the pandemic and you know this massive acceleration of digital? Interestingly enough, Jeff is going to join us on October 8th to talk about some of those trends as well. And then we're going to focus on uh, China and Asia Pacific a good bit on the 8th. So, Jeff, I know Burton has been investing in its digital operations in China. Interestingly enough, uh, in the introduction, you talked about how you guys really had to build the snowboarding industry in Vermont many, many years ago, founders and, and whatnot. 
I know we talked about you guys having to kind of build the the whole snowboard business in China as well. And you talked a little bit about your your Beijing and your Shanghai stores. Tell us a little bit of, you know, kind of what you guys have been seeing in China. Obviously, we've done a couple of podcast episodes, especially right after the, the pandemic hit, projecting that China was going to be back online earlier and once again, this whole idea that we talk a lot about at Gelf, that China's the you know kind of headwaters of, of e-commerce innovation. Tell us a little bit about you know kind of what you guys have seen in China, you know, during this whole pandemic, and then you know we can talk a little bit about just you know what you guys are doing from a direct to consumer perspective in China as well. So, I mean, what we're seeing right is is just from kind of a, a macro uh, side is. You know, China's coming back online. We are in our very, very early days, um, right? We launched, I think, last time we talked, uh, we had launched our T-Mall presence uh, in November. Uh, we had opened our first Beijing store sh- shortly after that. Uh, we're about to open our, our, our new flagship store in Shanghai. Um, but that kind of foundation was super early for us. And so when this hit and the market shut down, um, one of the first markets to kind of come back out of it, uh, to let, let's say that, uh, was, was China. Um, and at least for Burton and it just showed our consumer showing up and, and kind of and engaging with us in different ways. A lot of chat live streaming, uh, you know, just kind of building that consumer interaction. If we look, take a step back from that, right. And start applying it towards Burton. Um, we have to do the same playbook, which you just alluded to, of growing not only the sport, but the brand in China. Um, so, you know, we are very early days of that. But just to be able to see the team and the management pivot very, very quickly to be able to do the similar type stuff we were doing, reacting to the business, day-to-day management, triage to a degree, um, and, and pivot towards not only growing the, the brand, but the sport uh, in that region is it, something that's been amazing. Uh, when we look at it from a burden business kind of direct side, right? Uh, we, we now have our presence on Tmall. We have soon to be two stores. We're investing heavily in, in omni-channel, uh, to help build that, to connect that bridge, right? We'll probably do some more marketplace expansion here. Um, but really the biggest thing is as we've made these, these changes, right? We've had to build out a team, right? Across our people, our processes, our, our, and, and our technology. And that's something that is w- with incredible leadership from our CEO from China and sponsorship from our board, we've been able to make those wins even during this pandemic. Um, and the team is really, really starting to see, uh, starting to hit their stride and be able to deliver that business, which is, which is amazing. So um, again, early days, uh, but very, very cool to see uh, initial readings out of it for sure. Yeah, no, that's great to hear. I, I know we had a Really interesting conversation about the wholesale global e-commerce dynamics. Certainly, we've done some research and had some super conversations at past Gelfs just about this move towards digitizing, transforming the overall direct-to-consumer. Sometimes some organizations, especially the big brands that have traditionally sold most of their product through wholesale partners and channels. Uh, you know, I, I know we had a great conversation with uh, our good friend Nathan over at uh, New Balance, who joined Jeff, by the way, on stage uh, mm-hmm. last fall. And he was talking about how 
e-commerce was now, you know, had moved from being the sideshow to the main show. And, and we use that a lot. Um, interestingly enough, when we were talking to you about some of your wholesale strategies, you know, particularly in China, you had talked a little bit about a rationalization where you guys had had kind of revisited how to go to market there. And instead of there being maybe a lot of wholesale partners, was really kind of focusing more on some key trading partners. We talked a little bit about your your actual, you know, your Tmall partner or your trading partner in China. Can you help people understand a little bit more about how you guys are are looking more holistically at selling, going to market in China and, and, and the role or the rationalization of some of these wholesale strategies? For sure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so on that kind of first point on, on China is, again, we're, we're entering the market. Uh, we're trying to grow the, the brand and the sport uh, within the market. So the whole, from the wholesale side, we've been there for years, but we've never really been there the way we're showing up today. And the, how we're showing up today is on Tmall branded retail stores. Um, and so it's, just a, it's a, almost like an add-on to a traditional wholesale business. Uh, when we start looking at the future of our wholesale business, whether it's in China or across our business, right? Our internal motto is we want to be a consumer-centric, digital-first retailer. And so whenever we think about how that applies across any of our distribution channel, right, it's always kind of going to be digital-first, right? What is our either our owned, Burton.com, or what is, you know, key retailers, like you mentioned, Evo. Um, you know, they have a massive digital presence. So how are they showing up on online? How are we controlling that distribution kind of, you know, across the world? Uh, and, and how we're going to control that is really based on consumer experience, right? Who are the retailers that we want to work with? Who do we know that, that is providing that amazing experience to, to the end consumer? Cause at the end of the day, if a consumer buys from an Evo or buys from a burden.com, they're still a burden customer. And so we have to make sure that consumer experience is consistent across any of our distribution. But our primary source of distribution probably going forward is going to be the digital channel. Let me uh, let me pick up on, on a couple of things we said about uh, live streaming and influencers. Actually, a good week for me. This week, I actually, for one of my other podcasts, The Voice of Retail, I interviewed the, the president of the Blue Mountain Village Association. So Blue Mountain is one of the great, uh, you know, one of the great alpine village is kind of like a smaller version of, of uh, Whistler yeah, of uh, just north of uh, just north of Toronto. So Andrew uh, Siegwert and I go back a, a long time and he was talking about uh, a, a live stream experience he did with a, with an entertainer, a children's entertainer. And he was amazed. He had 25,000 people who were dialing in uh, just uh, just stunning numbers. And I wanted to pick up on, on that thread of that kind of live streaming and that social uh, you know, social platforms and different markets and social commerce and, and influencers. Let's talk about that for a bit. Last couple of questions. Um, you know, in, in China, we've, we've seen live streaming, uh, obviously, and talk about your, your role with whether it's, uh, influencers or whether it's, I'm batching questions here for you. Uh, and also this thing, uh, I don't know if you've heard of it, TikTok, <laughs> which could be big someday. Um, you know, what, what, what are your thoughts on influencers and using these kind of social platforms? And even, you know, I, I, we've heard through the, through the grapevine, so to speak, that uh, there may be an e-commerce component to TikTok at some point in China. What are your, what are your early thoughts on, uh, on using those platforms, influencers, and then the, the, the platforms that they, uh, they influence on? If, if we just focus on China and, and Ken, what you said earlier is China's at the tip of the spear, probably of digital commerce, digital everything, right? When I remember uh, the first time I, I went to China, um, 
I remember seeing Bite Dance probably about uh, it wasn't the first, but just I remember the first time I went there is still a very cash based society. Next time mm. I went back a few years later is credit cards. Year <laughs> year later I went back it was QR codes based and it was QR codes on your phone, right? So the, mm. they are making massive changes quickly to just the consumer and how the consumer shows up. And, and that's kind of setting in my mind, the tone for the rest of kind of the digital ecosystem. So when we look at like bike dance and TikTok um, and kind of that live streaming field, right. That to, to, as a, as an American uh, living in the U S TikTok's been around kind of in my mind since the pandemic. But when I mm-hmm. went to China, or when I went to China about two years ago, everyone was on TikTok. Right, so it's kind of making its way around the world, um, and whether that's TikTok, Little Red Book, all these other platforms that are kind of out there in China, I am sure we will see that same kind of overall shift towards that across the world. Um, so live streaming, right, is is, is that complement within TikTok or whatever? You can see the changes already being affecting our market with Instagram Reels coming out. Right. These, right, these right. Things that, that the market's almost playing catch up, but we think it's yeah. changing it, but really mm. they're, they're, they're playing catch up to what is happening in China now. Um, mm. Overall on influencers, uh, what you talked about, that's something that every brand is going to have a reckoning with, right? If you go mm. to China, it's all about KOLs. Um, we have, you know, in the U S we kind of call them influencers or ambassadors or whatever that terminology is, but in China it's called KOLs. And I am sure that shift towards that KOL mentality will start to um, will start to affect you know Asia Pacific broader than Europe than than US after that where it is really that social engagement driving uh, commerce transactions on whatever platform it is um, and I'm sure we- on, on, Jeff unpack that for the for me and the listeners a little bit the difference between um, the KOLs and and what we would think of as, as traditional, whatever that means, uh, influencers. What's, what's the difference there? That's a good question. So from a KOL key opinion leader, right. Uh, mm-hmm. it is really someone who is out there either doing promotions, very specific. Like you can tell they, they have channels. Um, there's somebody that we work with in China who, who just tries on lipstick all day and, and, mm-hmm. and reviews and has millions and millions of followers that we have never heard about. But they're a key opinion later that shifts the industry and has these following bases and people follow them around. When I think about, so I think of that as a KOL. When I think mm-hmm. of, of live streaming or when I think of, uh, I'm sorry, ambassadors or influencers, you know, ambassadors is something we kind of see product a little bit too and hope that they do something with it and post or influencers or someone that, you know, we're facilitating something. So then we can pay to play with them. It's, it's a little bit, it's a little bit almost like, uh, instead of in the forefront of what someone's trying to do, it's kind of in the back and it's, it's like, right. uh, it's not really front and center as the world gets more transactional, right. It's going to become more front and center. I have a feeling that's why, you know, all social ad, that's why Facebook runs off 90, 98% of ad revenue, right. It, it's, right. it's just going to be more front and center be more clear. And, and, and it's, it's when brands like you, demand ask for more accountability right for at both time and treasure spent on on these kind of initiatives right yeah, and um, more accountability you know you, you want to be able to tie, you want to be able to connect dots and say micro influencer master influencer versus kols where where's the best roi right and, and, and as attribution gets better across the digital landscape right that's going to be yeah. a, key, a key point of it how much if we're sending 
a thousand dollars of product, we better get a thousand dollars return in sales. Yeah, and sales. Right. And, and that's just, that's never been the association with, with influencers and ambassadors. In my opinion, it's always been like a seeding program. So that will start to change. I have a feeling. Well, Jeff, you know, uh, Michael and I are, are big key influencers here in, in the U S and, and I'm sure we're going to be driving. Opinion leaders. We're opinion leaders. We're going to drive a ton of business to Burton. And <laughs> you know, my, my, my Burton gear is pretty old now. So, uh, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll get you our, our shipping address here after the, we're, uh, we're pausing now for a commercial break, Jeff. <laughs> that, that was just, that's just, just a pause there right there. But, uh, yeah, no, that, I mean, that's great. And, and we've really enjoyed, you know, kind of hearing about, I mean, quite literally, I know one of the, one of the last times we, we spoke, you were talking about how, you know, a couple of your ambassadors just drive a, a tremendous amount of, um, you know, product sales and things like that. And, and, you know, we'll be talking about this whole kind of shift from KOLs, key opinion leaders to, to KOCs, which is more the, you know, kind of, man slash woman on the street, the, you know, the less of the tier one celebrity and, and more of just the, the gearhead who, who loves the sport. And so lots of interesting dynamics that we're seeing, you know, from an influencer and social market platform perspective. I wanted to back up to the conversation that you, you had a little bit earlier about um, what you guys have been doing in Japan. I know we talked a little bit about some of the, the marketplace partners that you guys have worked with in Japan. Uh, can you talk a little bit about, you know, kind of what you guys are doing through uh, marketplace platforms or as we've talked about them in the past, you know, we see these marketplaces like Amazon and, and the Alibaba properties uh, really kind of becoming these huge global distribution platforms. So more than a marketplace, if you will, especially as we see the pandemic really put a lot of pressure on a lot of the traditional wholesalers. And as we've been talking to, you know, speakers for, for Gelf Oktoberfest, you know, we're hearing a lot of different stories about, you know, that this, you know, demise of traditional wholesale retail partners and things like that. Those tend to be more the department store fashion apparel type folks. But tell us a little bit about, you know, how you guys are, are working with, with marketplaces. Maybe we start with uh, the work you guys have been doing in Japan with marketplaces there when we look at our 43 year history right uh we've always kind of looked at a culture of selling and that's that's just, you know what our business was built on and that selling culture trying to take that online is is very tough right because you need to you need to start making sure you're watching sell through so you don't actually you know saturate the market on platforms that can reach millions and billions of eyeballs so you know we've we've rethought our distribution internally. Like, who are we selling to? Why are we selling to? We, are, we want to be a digital first, customer centric retailer. And so we, when we start applying that to the work we've done in Japan, uh, we are on two key marketplaces now that are being managed kind of by our similar type e commerce team, who manage Burton.com, and we're on Amazon as a third partner. Uh, in the market as Amazon continues to grow in that market um, year over year, as well as uh, uh, Zozo Town, um, which is uh, a pretty soft goods focused business, right? We talked about earlier about our opportunity to grow soft goods. Well, that's, you know, Zozo Town for us. And we're trying out some things there, mm-hmm. uh, which, which is really, really interesting. You know, there is talk about exploring Rakuten in the future if we do that or not. Um, but that is something that we are getting after. To the point about pressure, which you talked about, you know, Japan, um, Japan is unique. Japan still thrives or has th- thrived off big box retail transactions, similar to how the market got consolidated here 
or is getting consolidated now, but started a, a few years back, that's happening like today in Japan. And uh, when we look at the future, it really is about those, those key marketplaces. And so we're changing our distribution day to day. When we, when we talk about kind of marketplaces and, and their future overall with us uh, globally, right, we're learning. Uh, Tmall has been a great learning so far. Uh, what we've done in Japan has been a great learning. We're applying a lot of those to Europe as we expand uh, our digital footprint there, whether it's on Solando or Amazon or whatever it may be. Um, and obviously in America's where it's our biggest market, we're continuing to learn. We're putting the right tools uh, and processes in place to be able to make expansion, you know, scalable and, and quickly. Um, but we're also we're we're continuing to think about how we become a digital first retailer, and that's much different than a selling culture. That is a sell through culture. So as we shift to that model, it's going to be um, it's going to be very very interesting to watch uh, how that how that affects you know the digital world. Well, Jeff, this has been a fantastic conversation. I mean. Um you know, I've learned a lot, uh, and and really, uh, it's been a treat getting to know the business and and understanding the the complexity and the sophistication of your approach. We're we're in these uh, unprecedented times, and 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 I hope uh, that as we approach this season and the snowboarding season this year and next year, there'll be lots of opportunity for for people around the world to get out and enjoy your product, enjoy the uh, the fresh air, and with a, as few as limitations as possible. So we uh, we we join you in hoping for that. And and listen, it's been uh, such a great opportunity to, to chat and and understand some of those things. So once, thanks so much for joining uh, the Global E-Commerce Tech Talks podcast. Well, thank you so much for having me. Uh, yeah, it was it was great catching up with you guys. Let's get ready for the snow year. Pray for some snow. Get outdoors, uh, and then let's get through 2020. Awesome. Thanks so much, Jeff. And, you know, again, uh, since I'm being uh, an influencer here, would definitely uh, love to uh, invite everybody that listens in on this podcast to join the Gelf community for what we're calling Oktoberfest, which is, again, three half days of action-packed, really insightful conversations, sessions, fireside keynotes starting on October 1st. We'll get going right after lunch, East Coast time. We'll go from one to five. And and then, Jeff, you'll be joining us on October the 8th. So uh, looking forward to uh, diving into some more of these topics. Got some great uh, speakers lined up. And then we're going to wrap up uh, with a half day on October the 15th. So, uh, Michael, thank you again for uh, accommodating all my uh, self-plugs here for the Global E-Commerce Leaders team. And again, Michael, great to, to hop back on the uh, on the hot mic with you. And again, Jeff, thanks again for joining us both in the past and today and in the future. And I guess on that note, I'll uh, leave it to you, Michael, to uh, queue up your closing and we'll be off. Yeah, ready for whatever. It it, it should be the calling card for all of us. So uh, thanks again, Jeff. All right. Thank you. That's a wrap on this edition of Global E-Commerce Tech Talks. Special thanks to Jeff for being our guest on this episode. If you like this podcast, you can subscribe on Apple iTunes, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform. Please rate and review and be sure to recommend to a friend or colleague in the retail cross-border commerce industry. I'm Michael LeBlanc, founder and president of Emmy LeBlanc Company, Inc., and you can learn more about me on www.emmyleblanc.co, and you can learn more about Global E-Commerce Leaders Forum online at www.globalecommerceleadersforum.com. Until next time... Have a safe week.